and welcome to episode 53 of the Critical Twits Gaming Podcast, where today we'll be bringing you the latest and greatest in board gaming news. Welcome to the 53rd Critical Twits Gaming Podcast. We are officially over a year old. Hooray! Yay! It doesn't sound so good when only two people do it. We'll get them to record something later and put it over the top. Yes. Oh, we'll just put like, <laughs> we'll just insert some crowd noise. Oh, crowd cheer. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll put one of those in right about now. Thank you, future me. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, welcome to our edition of Board Talk, uh, bringing you the latest and greatest in board gaming news for the month of November 2016, although it's right at the end of November. Um, and most of what we're talking about won't happen until December. But, you know, time is difficult on podcasts. It confuses me. What we're going to be talking about today is we're going to do a preview for the upcoming Dragon Meat um, convention. Is it a convention? I think it's a convention, yeah. Yeah, Dragon Meat Convention. We'll tell you all about it. It's great. We've been for the last two years. We're really looking forward to it. Um, we'll be touching on some upcoming um, new releases and have a little bit of a chat about what we have been playing. We'll be talking about some madness from Games Workshop as they realise they actually have a back catalogue of games that people want to pay money for. <laughs> which is very not like them. Uh, we'll talk about some upcoming releases from AEG and a couple games from Kickstarter, uh, including Tales from the Loop and Kingdom Death. I haven't introduced myself yet. I'm Brian Ennis. And I'm Jamie Myland. And the others are conspicuous in their absence. Um, <laughs> the reason for that being, um, I would like to make a, a quick apology. Uh, this doesn't happen very often. Um, so, you know, remember this well. Uh, but we are very sorry. We did record a podcast for last week and it died. Yes, we had some technical glitches. We will be re-recording that, won't we, Jamie? We will. Um, we're going to be having a Netrunner special coming up soon, recapping our um, adventures at the recent Netrunner charity tournament. But uh, we're going to have to uh, actually look at re-recording some of that. Yes, yeah. Da damn you technical goblins um, mm -hmm. and all of your shenanigans, which I really want to talk about my Netrunner tournament experience because it's my first tournament. Yes, absolutely. And uh, um, it's my first big tournament. I've played in small store tournaments before, but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more about it. Yes, and we should hopefully, fingers crossed, have a an interview with Richard Hammond, not the one that sells milk on the telly, um, but the Richard Hammond... Um, member of the Netrunner community who ran the charity gift tournament. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully we can book him in again. Sorry, Richard, <laughs> or for not getting things sorted the first time. Um, but let's pretend that never happened yes. um, and move swiftly on. Uh, Dragon Meat. Yes. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say I'm looking forward to Dragon Meat. I've not actually been myself before. So this is yes. going to be brand new for me. Yeah, yeah we, um, we went, we've gone for the last two years. I say we, um, meaning myself and the other critical twits. We actually recorded an episode last year all about Dragon Meat, which somewhat erroneously isn't 52 episodes ago <laughs> or 51 if you take we've, it a week forward, even though it's on the same some, weekend. Yeah, we've had some double episodes and things since then. Yeah, we've, we're not really very good at numbering things. So if you want to listen back to that and hear me, Aaron and Colin talking about Dragon Meat um, and how we met the dragon at Dragon Meat, um, have a listen. I'll put a link up somewhere um, to episode eight. We sound awesome. so young. <laughs> 
And Colin was still alive. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Minute silence for Colin. Cool, I've edited it out. It was boring. Yep. <laughs> um, so can you tell me about Dragon Meat? I mean, I've not bought into one before. I've been to a couple of conventions for things, but I'd like to know more. Yeah, Dragon Meat is a, is a board gaming, um, tabletop gaming convention held every year in London around about this time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's recently moved to Hammersmith. It used to be held somewhere slightly different that escapes me right at this moment. Uh, but it's grown too big. Okay. Uh, which is great. It shows the growth of the tabletop board gaming hobbies, etc., etc. It's run by Modiphius. Mm. Modiphius, as I said, oh, quite a while ago um, now, when we reviewed Gen Lab Alpha, uh, fast becoming one of my favourite tabletop gaming companies, um, especially for their role playing game products. Uh, but they also do board games as well. They're they're very good. I've had an amazing time the last two times I've gone. They were the very first gaming convention I ever went to, actually, hmm. um, which is significant for me because I'm not a people person, and these things these things scare me slightly. And I had a great time uh, and wanted to go back and then branched out to the UK Games Expo, etc., etc. It's an incredibly slick event, um, hmm. very professionally run, and it is full of games to play uh, you can book in and play role-playing games you can get demo games of all sorts of different things while you're there they have an enormous bring and buy uh, to which we lose one member of the gaming group every year he just gets lost amongst the the second-hand things um, and then emerges six hours later festooned with plastic bags and with an old copy of blood bowl strapped to the side of his head <laughs> there's a huge trade hall uh, which promises to be even bigger this year uh, there is a charity auction, mm-hmm. which got, takes place at the end of the event. Uh, last year raised about £2,000, I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, which is great. I, I, I really like stuff like that that's about more than just selling a bunch of games. Mm-hmm. And it just promises to be very big, very shiny and very, very fun. Um, we're hoping to grab some interviews with some game developers and publishers and all sorts of people while we're there. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll do a we'll do a follow up podcast as soon as we are physically able and recovered enough to talk about it. Now, this month's big news for us as big fans of Netrunner has been the announcement of Terminal Directive, which is a legacy style two player campaign add on for the base Netrunner game. Mm. Cool, that was a load of technical jargon all in one <laughs> sentence that I think I handled quite well. What that means is that you you buy Terminal Directive when it comes out early next year and you'll play a series of games against an opponent that tells a story uh, revolving around a murder, I think. It is, yeah. It's going really back to its noir roots. Yes, the I know, know the original Android board game was centred mm. around a murder. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting to see that sort of coming back. Uh, but it does have, as you say, those those very strong noir roots. And reaction has been mixed amongst the critical twits um, about this kind of add-on. Um, I think we're going to save that for our big Netrunner special next time we talk. Yeah, we'll talk more about it definitely next time. Um, you can read my thoughts about it on the, on the website, criticaltwits.com. Um, yes. but we'll have a proper discussion about you know where each of us are coming from with this but personally I'm quite excited for it I'm you know really looking forward to seeing what it's like yes I am cautiously optimistic 
an mm. emphasis on the cautiously. Um, but as Jamie said, I'll pop a link below. Have a have a click on there if you're you're interested in reading our very first thoughts. We'll have developed them. Um, we'll have had a time to let it settle down mm-hmm. uh, and to consider it in more depth. And um, I think we've learned some new things about it since that uh, initial preview. So that'll be good. So, moving on to the wider world of uh, board games, about, ooh, 17 episodes ago, I didn't just check, (laughs) we talked quite a lot in depth um, in what we call the pre-Jamie era of Critical (laughs) Twits. It was a dark time. It was a much less organised time. Um, We talked quite a lot about Games Workshop and Mm. how they were sitting squatting like a sleeping dragon on a nest of treasure of buried intellectual property and unexploited previous game systems and just Mm. kind of letting them go to waste since Mm. that time they have split up with uh, fantasy flight who are handling a lot of their board games and they now seem to be releasing their old what they called specialist games again this month saw the or sees has it just come out Uh, it's just come out yeah just come out the release of blood bowl in a brand new edition and in a week's time um a reprint of space hulk fifth edition i think it Mm -hmm. was maybe fourth edition Uh, but the latest edition of space hulk from 2014 is being re-released as well both of these conveniently just in time for christmas yeah, absolutely. You, uh, my my question to you, Brian, is: Do you think anybody over in the um, games games workshop head, headquarters in Nottingham actually listened to the critical twits? Um, because it seems very prescient. I've yes, I do feel like we've had our very first instance of predicting the future and telling them <laughs> what they should do. Maybe it was. I, I would assume it was already sh- on the cards. Yeah, I assume like it. it was already on the. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. If you are secretly listening from Games Workshop HQ, um, let's know below. Use the um, the code name Tiberius just to let us know um, who you really are. That's fine. That's a secret, isn't it? No one, no one. Yeah, nobody else will know. That. Yeah, that's fine. Um, have you had a chance to have a look at Blood Bowl, or or have you played played much of it before, Jamie? I've got Blood Bowl. I think second edition, um, which I've played once or twice when i was younger I, I had it when i was younger and then it went away um it, it got lost somewhere along the line then i managed to pick up another copy at a car boot sale a couple of years ago um and everything's still unpainted and almost brand new so it's really nice um so at some point i actually mean uh, keep me in to sit down and repaint all the models it comes with both some plastic ones and some original lead ones so that's kind of cool you're not gonna keel over in a sort of Victorian chimney sweep fashion and just die after painting your models. Uh, I might well do. Um, it's one way to go. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's that. And obviously I've played the PC version a lot. Um, I do yes. really, really, I'm a big fan of the, the computer game version of Blood Bowl. Yeah, Joe and I played quite a bit of it on Twitch uh, mm. not too long ago and then did nothing with the footage and didn't release it on YouTube. Uh, she probably we might have to think about out. that. Yeah. Again, it was from the pre-Jamie era of the Critical <laughs> Twits where we were we were just like headless chickens, really. You're definitely productive, just maybe, yeah, not so focused. Yes, yeah. Hmm. Um, I likened it to trying uh, trying to herd cats with a water pistol. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they're very enthusiastic and, you know, they're quite nice to stroke, actually, the other Twits, but they're not the most focused yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, but, but I've, you know, I've had I've had them curl up on my lap before, and you know, it's an experience. But <laughs> they are very warm. Yeah, 
especially especially Colin. You wouldn't think of it, but he burns like a tiny oven. <laughs> no, he really does. Shame he's dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, back to Blood Bowl then. Yes. Um, I haven't had a chance to get my hands on a copy yet. Mm. Um, but I do know our friends at the Double Skulls podcast. Hello. Um, um, have actually got their hands on a preview copy before it was released and did quite a, an in-depth rundown of what's in there. The Double Skulls are a UK-based podcast that talks about the sort of the tournament scene of blood bowl um and they are very well worth um a look or a listen i suppose as long as you are an adult Mm -hmm. if you are a child they will say (laughs) things that will make you sad (laughs) they will say things that will make you question life they'll say things that makes the kids happy but will make the parents very very sad yes yeah so if that happens, you didn't hear about them from us. Um, <laughs> but they are they are very good. They really, really know their Blood Bowl. And I think, I can't think of many games that have survived, what, like 13 years since an official release mm. of the game and had this scene still going and people making secondhand, not secondhand, but... Yeah, they're um, custom. Second party, custom teams, custom yeah. rules keeping the game alive through a time when it had been pretty much abandoned by games workshop it's really really impressive mm. um and i think that sleeping dragon that is games workshop has really woken up and gone oh shit we've got a load of money we could be making here <laughs> yeah um, it's let's about do time. something about it um speaking of which it's um for those that don't know it's going to be 65 pounds blood bowl currently yes or and this is this is where I start to put on my, my usual grumpier hat. It's £80 if you include the Death Zone add-on rulebook. Oh, now, okay. What they've done is they've taken the Blood Bowl rules as is, and as far as I can tell, they haven't really changed much. Mm-hmm. It's still the same game, which <sighs> disappoints me slightly. I mean, I know when you're talking about something with that kind of that nostalgia and that backing, mm. you don't want to reinvent the spiky football but you do want to in my in my eyes modernize it slightly yeah um and i think i I need to take a closer look but i'm i think maybe they've missed a chance slightly what they've done though is they've divided up they've got the basic rules in the book Mm -hmm. and then all the rules for like running campaigns and leagues and having star players and adding in all the extra teams that have come along since it was sort of first made yeah. were put into this this sort of £15 book. Mm. It's a £15 book and it's a 48-page softback. Yeah. Which feels a little bit like being bent over and violated with said spiky football, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think with the new, new release, it is literally just a reprint in a way of one of the old versions yes. and they've gone that way as well with like you say the death zone side of things where that in itself used to be a separate standalone item so yes. rather than what probably would have been nice was would be to combine it all together in one kind of deluxe release they've they've kept them yeah. as yeah as they used to be it's interesting though that i mean first of all the new models are nice mm. i do like the new models definitely again coming from someone who now plays a lot of malifaux I would have liked it if, for instance, each orc linesman was slightly different rather than yes. having like three patterns and three of each or whatever it is that, they, that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the same thrower twice or, or, or and such like. But, you know, I can kind of understand that. I can. One of my biggest problems 
One of my biggest problems with the classic kind of tabletop blood bowl, um, and this might, you know, you might overcome this by playing it lots, but was always knowing exactly which kind of abilities each of your minis had. So yes, if one had yeah. like block or tackle or things like that, or any of the more yeah. advanced ones you can add on as if you do a campaign. Um, when you're playing on the computer game version, you can easily hover over the minis and see what they do. But um, yeah, you're constantly referring to like a spreadsheet of of oh that that one's that number so that one has block and tackle you know and so it does this um yeah i I suppose it's easier to go that's a linesman because they're wearing a uniform aren't they they are yeah um i mean i've played quite a lot of guild ball Mm. um i love guild ball Mm -hmm. uh, but that's because i'm more of an a, a, a soccer fan for you Americans out there, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> then I am an American football or rugby kind of kind of fan. They have much smaller teams, and every model is individual, and you just basically you'll paint them with the same colour clothes on and hope they look kind of coherent. There's yeah. no kind of uniform. Whereas the Blood Bowl minis, they very much they're wearing a kit, aren't they? They're wearing they those sorts of things. So I suppose actually maybe maybe limiting the models makes it easier in the long run but it doesn't look as cool yeah i think it makes it easier to like I say to tell who's a linesman or whatever but at the same time i think if every one of them maybe had the same kind of outfit but they, you've got ones that are even in the same pose identical poses which, yes yeah might, it could have done a bit more variety i think yeah um and I, i'm really not happy with them adding on an extra 15 pound supplement at at the time of release it's mm. like buying a video game that ships with <laughs> dlc buried on this on the dvd somewhere yeah you see I'm it's like bit... come on come on you're releasing the game put it, put that book in the box i know being cheapskate i think i understand it um, because if you look actually you, you maybe think of it that way with, with dlc i'm actually quite forgiving um because at the end of the day the way that these companies work is they'll have a budget they'll have a budget to produce something and they'll you know use that budget the best they can it may alongside that be a, uh, another team that gets another smaller budget to produce uh, some dlc you know for a computer game yeah. so they they actually have their own budget and their own targets to meet so therefore it may ship at the same time as the full game on release but yeah. it has its own kind of you know money to make up its own kind of its own budget um so this may well be the case with games workshop but the same at the same time the majority of the rules and those type of things are already pre-existing so it's not like they must they obviously had a team work on it for refresh it and editors go through everything um and new models made and everything but yeah it's not quite the same as building something new from scratch uh like you would do if you were developing a computer game yeah is this tempting you to dig out your old version of Blood oh, Bowl God, yeah. Stroke, update it with something? Absolutely. Well, I, I actually brought my games cabinet back into the uh, into my lounge the other day. Um, so it's been sat there looking at me going, play me, play me, all these different games that are sat in my pile of shame. And uh, <laughs> um, I finally got around, we'll talk about later, to playing um, Castles of Burgundy, which is one that I've been wanting to get around to for a while. Uh, and Blood Bowl is also sat there saying, you know, take me out and play me. So maybe actually sometime when uh, I have the twits over, we could uh, have a game. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I'm... I, I'm interested. The board is bigger than it was. The models mm-hmm. are shinier and new. And Blood Bowl is quite a good game. It's There's mm. a few things about it that annoy me, uh, like when you forget to move your turn marker. But mm-hmm. then again, you kind of have to move your turn marker because it's I think, got a set time limit. 
a lot of that is down to like tournament rules and i think when you're playing like casually that's a lot less strict unless you're playing with a dish bag and i think one of the things that separating out these extra rules has done is is things like that are now sort of optional Mm. um when i was looking through those sorts of things were included in the optional rules so there's kind of like a a nice way of getting people into it with some simplified rules as well yes absolutely Um, so it does look interesting um i do think it's it's interesting as well guild ball have just very recently released their plastic starter set with two teams and a pitch and and all sorts of stuff in there as well and it's you know you're spoiled for um medieval men playing with balls (laughs) um at the moment so it's quite interesting i think it'd be quite nice budget budget dependent whether we could maybe do a comparison of the two yeah absolutely at some point um I'm wondering if you could take Guild Ball models and turn them and actually use Blood Bowl rules with them and so on. I'm sure you could, but yeah, you, know, you yeah. could actually do kind of a, a mashup, which would be quite nice. Yeah, it would be cool. So I think well done, Games Workshop, for remembering that you don't just sell Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 and mm. Lord of the Rings if you can be bothered. Um, you've actually got all these extra games kicking about, mm. which brings us nicely on to Space Hulk. Yes. Now, they're re-releasing Space Hulk. It's not a new edition, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. It's a reprint of the 2014 version of right. Space Hulk. Uh, one that I rushed out and bought when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and opened up and licked slightly. <laughs> and then did nothing with for a long, oh, okay. long time. And then sold. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, do you still have, uh, have it? Because I'll happily play that. So... I didn't. I didn't sell it. So I didn't. Um, I didn't ever play it. So I got rid of it. Mm. Uh, just in with a job lot of of other things. I like Space Hulk. It came out originally just before I got into um, Games Workshop stuff. So it was one of those things that had a kind of mystique to me when I was younger. Mm. I had seen sort of the tail end of it being played in the shop when I used to go in. Um, yep. It's a very tiny customer, like a tiny hobbit child, <laughs> eyes full of wonder, pockets full of litmus bread. Um, but I, um, I I didn't actually pick it up until a couple of years ago. Mm. And then just there was no real interest in playing it from anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it just sat in a box. It's actually it's a very nice box. Mm. Not the actual, not the cardboard, but the, the stuff inside is very, very nice. Yeah, I think it always was really. It's yeah, it's a lovely little system and a nice little game. Uh, again, there's quite a nice uh, PC adaptation of that as well. There's well, there's the classic one from the the nineties, um, but there's a more recent, obviously, version on Steam, which also there plays is very a, well. There is a new version of the computer game coming out at the same time. Ah, nice. Uh, okay. Space Hulk Deathwing. Oh yes, I've heard of this. Um, which is amazing because Games Workshop have gone from this kind of this lumbering behemoth <laughs> that that arse has never seen the elbow let alone communicated with it to let it know what it was doing Mm. um to we've got the um we've got the board game releasing on the 3rd of december and we've Mm -hmm. got the new pc game launching on the 9th of december with consoles following early in the new year it's it's coordinated yeah it really is. You buy the PC game. And quite responsive. You, yeah. yeah, you buy the PC game and you go, oh, this is based on a board game. Oh, we might play that. You buy the board game, can't get anyone to play with because you're sad and lonely like I am, and go, oh, I'll <laughs> buy the PC game instead. 
Mm. It's quite... It, I mean, I don't want to oversell this because, to me, it's it's very basic and simple brand synergy, as mm-hmm. uh, marketing bods would call it. But <laughs> it's not very Games Workshop. No. No, it's, just, it's nice. It's quite refreshing to see them, you know, pulling these things out. Um, speaking of which, actually, um, I don't know if you ever saw, I mean, a very similar game to Space Hawk was Space Crusade. Um, yes, yeah, the, the precursor. Yeah, that that to me, that was, when I was younger, that was the one that I, some of my friends had and I really wanted at the time and couldn't afford it. Um, and I always really wanted to get into that, which is why when I see copies of Space Hawk around now, I'm like, oh, I really would like to give it a proper go. Yes, um, just just to go back to Blood Bowl quickly, I've just had a an exclusive communication from yeah. the uh, the Double Skulls podcast um, saying that there are um, a few changes to the rules, um, mm. nothing major, okay. but little tweaks. So actually, um, sounds quite good um, from what he's said. A few new, a few little rules. Nothing with a big impact, but probably, hopefully, things just to just balance. simplify. Yeah, yeah so just, that, yeah. that's made me feel slightly more, uh, more keen. Actually, yeah, and it's quite they nice. Just, I, I, I get sometimes when people reprint things and they just reprint it or redo it exactly as it was. Mm-hmm. It's like. Luckily, just got the old thing. Yeah. Why well, have you done this? Whereas taking that opportunity to make something better shows a bit of love and care. It does. Um, I think I quite like the idea as well because I still have, you know, one of the classic versions of the game. Um, if it would be possible ever to just pick up uh, the rule book and start getting some of the new minis as they come out, so rather than getting the new corset, um, just to see how easy it would be to expand upon, you know, an existing uh, set. I, I don't know. It probably it likely is. I mean, I don't know. I doubt Games Workshop would at this point release a standalone rulebook for it, but it would just be a nice thing to see because you know, if anybody did have one of the classic sets and wanted just to bring it up to date, um, people would probably even pay a slight premium for that. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I remember the big, the early two thousands. Let's have specialist games. Let's have a little magazine for specialist games. Mm. Um, kind of attempt to keep them alive. That. Um, was really Games Workshop's last big, big swing at their that sort of that back product of all those little add-on skirmishy type games. Mm. Just, just again, I might, I might chop this up when I edit. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, to return to the topic of Space Hulk, mm. <sighs> Space Hulk is one of those games that always looked more fun than it actually was to play. There's there's things you can do with respect with Space Hulk involving like egg timers for your turn and things mm. like that 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 I don't particularly like. Um, mm. I think it pushes it into a more competitive place than it needs to be in. Um, but you could just not use that and it's cool. Yes. Um, the models are really really nice. Games Workshop do still make very nice models. Um, yes. As much as you know, I have my differences with with them. I mean, obviously, they, they attract a lot of talent when it comes to sculptors and things like that. I think one area yes. that probably Games Workshop is maybe getting slightly dated in now is the fact that most of their things are still casted, whereas um, a lot of um, people obviously move to 3D prints, um, which can actually bring out more detail. And then, uh, well, unless unless you go for really high quality cast material. 
I do like, oh, well, we're just bouncing around between the two things, but I do like the fact that they've also released at launch the Skaven Blight Scramblers, so a oh, new okay. plastic Skaven team, and mm. it looks like they're actually going to support Blood Bowl. This is the thing with Space Hulk is that the previous two times they've released Space Hulk, they've kind of gone, do you remember this from when you were a kid? <laughs> yeah. And thrown you a box of Space Hulk with a book of missions and yep. some nice models and some lovely cardboard tokens for you to flick at the eyes of your opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've just kind of forgotten about it. Mm. When they've done things like Dreadfleet, um, for instance, again, it was just a box, throw it out there near Christmas, spend some money on it, it's a game, you're done. What they look to be doing with Blood Bowl is supporting it and continuing to sort of grow it as a property, as something that you get into. And that's Mm. that's an interesting, that's a very much a twist on their part. Um, And it's the kind of thing that might actually make me go into the games workshop more than just when I've run out of ink and I'm desperate. Yeah, I think you said earlier about the fact that um, Blood Bowl does have this long-standing community that has been crying out for something like this for a long time. So, yes. you know, and they've gone out of their way to build their own teams from random miniatures, like non-Games Workshop ones. So I think, um, yeah, they'd be missing a trick if they didn't go, you know, carry on supporting this a bit further than yeah. they do with some of the other IPs. And one of the things that has been talked about coming from this new specialist game arm of the company is expansions for Space Hulk. Oh, okay. So things to add on to Space Hulk. That's neat. They kind of, they kind of did it. They did like a, you could download an app and it'd give you a different mission, but you're using the same models in the same formation. Hmm. Or you might go and buy like a Terminator Chaplin and add it in. Hmm, but okay. it wasn't anything big. Whereas it seems like they're considering expansions, well, which is really, like really a, nice. It seems like a game that could be very modular. Um I mean, I've got yeah. some of the the D and D board games that are all like tile based, and you can expand the tiles in any kind of format you want. And I could see you can have all sorts of different sort of expanded tile sections for a game like Space Hulk. Yes, yeah, I think you could. There's lots of things you could do. You could bring in Space Marines of different chapters. Mm-hmm. You could bring in different threats beyond just the Gene Stealers. Yep. Um, and you could do all sorts of things with different types of ship. Mm-hmm. Um, or even different locations entirely, rather oh, than a space hulk, a, a base at the bottom of the sea, yeah, for instance. And you could do all sorts of different things with that and have a, a different feel to it and have water hazards, you know, a bit Bioshock. You're um, right, it does have a lot of potential. If they are listening mm. and they want to steal that, please, please credit me. <laughs> One of my favourite uh, Games Workshop games, actually, uh, computer games, um, was... Um, oh god I should have thought about it before I said it uh, it was a tactical, tactical turn based XCOM style game back in the late 90s um, we've done this before yeah what was it called uh, Chaos Gate that's the one um, <laughs> this is exactly what happened last time yep. only you were Colin and I was even slower Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Chaos Gate. That was um, one of my favourite PC games of the late nineties, and it kind yeah. of an XCOM style. Uh, you have a small squad of Space Marines rather than the larger squads like you would um, in the newer forty yeah. K games. Um, and I could totally see that actually, if you take the kind of um, Space Hawk rules and then expanded them so you could go outside of a Space Hawk, you could actually do some really neat things with it. 
Yes, yeah. It's interesting because this is the first we're seeing, just to sort of round this section off, um, the first we're seeing of Games Workshop bringing back the specialist game. Mm. Um, which was something they announced roughly a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Blood Bowl, we've got Space Hulk. Um, those are fairly simple. Mm. Space Hulk is Space Hulk. It doesn't need to change a lot, really. Blood Bowl has a community. It has people playing it still. So, you know, you update things a little bit. You sell it to them. They get excited. That spreads the word. You know, you've got a built-in fan base and sort of guaranteed sales, I suppose. Yeah. What will be interesting is what they pick to do next. Mm. What are they going to do? Because we've got all sorts of things that could come under that specialist game thing. We've got more time. We've got mm. Necromunda. We've got Battlefleet Gothic. So I think part of this could come down to um, the online, the gaming side of things, the computer game side of things, where obviously the games like um, Space Hulk and Blood Bowl have yes. both been very successful in recent years on, on Steam, on PC and other gaming systems. So, yes. uh, And you've got games like More Time now available uh, also for on a PC release. Um, yeah. So maybe we'll actually start to see, you know, like say almost a brand synergy where they're, they're looking at, okay, this game has been popular in a digital realm. So it's like bringing it back to the tabletop as opposed to back like it was in the 80s and 90s where it was a popular tabletop game first, which then spawned p- um, computer game versions. Yeah, they have kind of scattered out a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. So maybe they're looking at what's popular there to feed back. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I mean it could be it could be quite interesting to see what comes along. I mean they've got Manor War, which became Dreadfleet. Mm-hmm. They actually they have re-released Warhammer Quest as well, haven't they? Which we've completely forgotten about. Okay, <laughs> I, to, to be honest, again I'm I'm really out of the Games Workshop loop at the yeah, minute, so I did not know they 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 did a version of that. I bought it and then again sold it. Which um, mm. this this episode makes it sound like that happens all the time. Actually, it's quite a rare occurrence. <laughs> yeah. um, but I bought it. Um, it's Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. It's updated for the mm. new Age of Sigmar um, era. So oh. they've, they've updated it. They've changed the rules very, very much. It reminds me slightly of Dead of Winter in that mm. you roll a bunch of dice for your actions and then you spend them based on the numbers that you've rolled. Oh, that's interesting. So like, to walk over there is quite a low number, whereas to like chop its head off is a harder number. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it looks very, very interesting, but... Um, a friend of mine wanted it and I kind of overspent that month so I sold it on mm. Okay. Um, because it I opened it up and it was a huge box full of unassembled plastic <laughs> which in the old days the old Brian um, would have uh, would have been you know fairly excited about mm-hmm. um, dare I say fairly rigid whereas I was very floppy at the sight <laughs> of that um, because it just looked like a lot of work yeah. um, and being more of a board gamer these days you know i'm used to opening up a box reading a rule book and playing a game maybe mm-hmm. popping out some cardboard tags or clipping some arms on and these were fairly detailed models yeah they looked nice but i just i didn't have the time and then no, when totally. you store i, I, I get that totally i mean i still love that aspect of the the hobby um but finding the time these days is is very very difficult yeah, I can just see 7, 10, 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, 18 unassembled 
Malifaux miniatures still in boxes on my desk right as we talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love my Malifaux. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting together 30 odd models just to play a board game that I'm not sure if it's going to be any good yeah is tricky I'd love to see what they could do with Inquisitor yeah Inquisitor was always like the bastard child because because Games Workshop generally sticks to this 28 mil scale mm-hmm. yes you've got uh, maybe the smaller scale Epic and Warmaster Battlefleet Gothic Aeronautica Imperialis which is all it's based around like big units and very small models or like big ships. Mm-hmm. Um, but Inquisitor went the other way and it went did. for the 54 mil scale. Yeah. And the models were absolutely stunning. Oh, they were lovely uh, for the time. Uh, obviously needed, you know, more paper clips than um, <laughs> the local tax office. I don't know. Somewhere <laughs> that needs a lot of paper clips uh, to hold all the models together. Yeah. Local branches staples, but then they do staples. Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they were very, very nice. And I think that especially with, like you were saying, 3D modeling and maybe the new resins or new plastics, mm. they could come up with some beautiful, bigger models. They really could. Um, or they could just repurpose the rule set and actually just have it in a size that you could just use all your models from elsewhere in yeah absolutely i mean one of the i mean i did love inquisitor when it first came out and i collected i think about five of the models but again it was quite prohibitively expensive um at the time Um, it was what 20 pounds to 30 pounds for a model i think i think some of the larger models were more than that the um Um, space marines we're talking you know 15 years ago yeah um so it'd be interesting to see what they they do with it. It was always an odd one because it was kind of like Games Workshop wanted to do Dark Heresy, the role play game, but mm-hmm. also wanted to flock you some models. Yeah, it, it, so I, yeah, it had definitely had some role play elements in there. It just it was still quite light. Um, it was more of yeah. the idea was that I think you played a battle and then you wrote up a, the campaign story afterwards that sort of told the story of what happened. Yeah. Um, but I could definitely see them. I'd love to see more of an actually the role play element coming to the front. And yeah, I could see them doing some really interesting things with it. Yeah, because all of the 40k role play stuff mm. is Fantasy Flight, isn't it? It is, so which is going very, away. That's mm-hmm. going to go away early next year. So could we see your Games Workshop store turned from this place where you buy 40k? and Warhammer Fantasy Battle mm-hmm. or Age of Sigma, whatever you want to call it now um, and turn into a place where you go for yes your war games but also your board games your skirmish games mm-hmm. and your role play games I would love that I mean it would get it back to you know more of a hobby store that it used to be um, but the question is will they put the effort in at the kind of street level now are they, are they dedicating themselves to online sales or you know yeah, because it's every interesting. Time, every time you go to a Games Workshop store, it's it's just so quiet, and they don't seem to have like the will to put any kind of effort in to supporting them like they used to. We shall leave that for posterity. We'll check back in six months' time and mm. see how many of our suggestions they've implemented, just <laughs> like last time. Um, cool. uh, moving on, then, mm. um, there are a couple games from AEG, uh, a couple board games that you wanted to talk to me about, Jamie. Yeah, okay. So there's one that's been out for a little while, but I only found out about it recently. Um, and 
I think it's quite an interesting idea. Um, it's by um, Jason Tagmeyer, uh, published by AEG, and it's called Pretense. Um, so, Ooh. yeah, the idea behind Pretense is that um, it's a meta game. It's a game that you play alongside playing other games. Okay. So it's designed for a board game evening or board game day where you're getting together with a group of friends and you're going to maybe plow through a collection of different games you know, that you've been meaning to get around to, which is something that we've all been meaning to do for a while. Um, and every player randomly selects a role that they're going <laughs> to take on during the time they're playing. So okay. these roles give you an action that then if somebody else in the group performs that action during the day, you get to call them out on it, reveal your role, and steal their role from them. Okay. Okay, so um, for example, there's lots of different roles. So for example, there's the bookworm. So if another player hands you a rule book, you may take their role card. So you need to try to position yourself during the day to actually be able to have somebody pass you a rule book. Cool. Or um, the teacher. So if you teach the group to play a new game, you may take um, any other player's role card. So you get to pick. Or if another player gives you a high five, that's the frat boy. You may take their role card and so on. So you have all these different kind of roles. It just adds a little bit of extra flavor to the day. And it's kind of a little bit of kind of bluffing or trying to get the other players yeah. to do things that, you know, will let you win. Cool. I really like the sound. I'm actually browsing the Kickstarter um, mm. now. I mean, it's... Um it kickstarted quite a while ago. So has mm-hmm. AEG released this following a successful Kickstarter? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get it imported for about 10 quid. Um, it's on sale now on the American Amazon store, but uh, unfortunately that's not on for us. But um, but yeah, it does look like just a nice little extra thing, especially if you are running any sort of board game parties or you have a group that gets yeah. together regularly. Like if you have a um, you know your weekly uh, board game group, could be a nice little thing to throw in. Apparently, it works best for around six to eight players. So, you know, it gives you an idea of the sort of thing yeah. it was suitable for. If you if someone takes your card, you still get to play. No, that's the, that's that's the thing. Is it uh, technically it's it's got some knockout features. So there are some definite downsides to it. I could definitely think it needs to be played a couple of times to see how how well it works. Um, I could totally see. Um, depending on how many cards there come with the game, that maybe if you get knocked out, you could then take another card. Because at the end of the day, the person who ends up with the most cards wins. So there's yeah. nothing wrong with you then assuming another role should you, you know, yeah, lose the I one. Yeah, I think if you did that, that would be my only concern. Yeah. Um, just bear with me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to add that to my Amazon basket and buy it. Oh, you awesome. sold me on that completely. Cool. Right, so we'll uh, we'll test that out maybe over this Christmas period where we get yeah, together so and we'll play some games. Yeah, we'll be talking about that um, yeah. as we play some games. Uh, one of the things I like the look of with it is that it can be played um, in quite a large group, sort of twelve mm. people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, what's quite interesting is that like the board gaming scene, if you if you like, has exploded in Peterborough. We've got the Den <laughs> Gaming Cafe, mm-hmm. and we have you got posh games. Uh, posh games and we also have um the local pub the stoneworks i say local it's in the town center but i'm quite close to the town center uh, who host the den 
uh, on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be a great thing to take along to something like that. That would be great for one of those evenings, because yeah. Because you're always playing a game and you could dish them out and you wouldn't maybe know who was playing and who wasn't, mm-hmm. who might steal your card, who might mm-hmm. not. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to take that along next time we go to one of those events. Awesome. Yeah, that would really suit that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, what cool. was the other game? Right. The other one's just been announced this week. Um, again, it's by AEG and it's called Light and Dark. So it's quite a light game. Um, and it reminds me a lot of a game we played at actually the Den Board Game Cafe, um, Push It. Okay. So you remember Push It where you kind of have to flick your uh, kind of disc across the table and it's a little bit like um, uh, a little bit like bowls or something like that where you need to get one puck next to, close to another yes yeah? Yeah. so that was um, that kind of game I love those kind of games yeah um, Aaron and I have discussed heading to Canada for the Crokinole World Champions oh, at some that, point that would be awesome yep that um, sort of thing so it's, it's in that type of vein but it adds a bit more theme to it so in light and dark it's two player um, and each are sort of shepherding a group of druids. Okay, either two turn to the light or dark side. This could totally okay. be re- rethemed with Star Wars. But anyway, um, so you've got the light side druids and the dark side druids. Now, so the light side player is trying to convert all of the dark side ones to the light and vice versa. Additionally, you have these torches, which are either lit or unlit. So the dark side player is trying to turn all the torches out and turn all of the um, light side druids to his side. Okay. And to do that, you simply line up your druids on either side of the table and you have to take it in turns to flick your druid discs across the table (laughs) to convert the opponent's druids. So if one then hits an opponent, you can then flip that to your colour or your side. Okay. Same thing with the torches. You can light or extinguish them. The thing that makes it extra interesting, though, beyond the standards of a game like Push It, is that there's eight, I think it's eight cards that come with the game that have special abilities on them. So okay. you can then play these cards should certain things happen during the game. So, for example, if you flick your dark side druid into a light side druid and that light side druid flies off the table, normally yep. they're put back onto the table on light side up. So, so they haven't changed. Yeah, so it counts as like a, not exactly a fail, but it has no effect. Yeah. But if you happen to be holding a card that says convert follower, play this card if you knock a druid out of the play area, yeah. flip the druid to your faction and place it anywhere in, in the play area. So nice. you've got these cards that give you a little bit of extra strategy. And I think it actually looks like it'd be quite interesting. It seems to be a very kind of light, sort of small box game. Um, is it, and I is it like, out? No, it comes out first quarter uh, next year. So I'll be adding that to my Amazon watch list and... Mm-hmm. Oh, they're very cute druids. They are quite cute, aren't they? Uh, they're if you click- sort of chibi druids. <laughs> they are. It's quite light. It's quite small. I think it would be... It's, it's retail... Um, um, recommended retail price is $9.99, so I believe about as much in pounds. Oh, that um, sounds awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I've got, I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for the kind of light little games that you can just play... Mm. in 10 minutes and be done or play three or four games of in a row and swap sides and play around and do different things yeah i, I really do um, too and i really like flicking um <laughs> we we dedicated an episode to games that involve flicking yep um and we had much fun with puns so i won't <laughs> i won't tax the listeners any more than i already have uh, but it, it sounds fan flicking tastic it does <laughs> Oh, yeah, that uh, looks really interesting. Uh, well done um, for finding that, because that would have passed me by completely. Hmm. 
Um, right, moving on then. Okay. To Kickstarter Corner. We've got um, a couple things on Kickstarter. I've recently bought... Can't talk. I've recently backed something on Kickstarter, uh, which doesn't mm. happen very often. Um, but when I see something that is from a good company with good pedigree and looks interesting, um, that's kind of my criteria. I won't back mm. something from someone for their very first ever Kickstarter generally. Yeah. I am a suspicious man steeped in uh, cynicism uh, and I no, do not trust you. That's fair enough. I've been, I've been burned myself with that, so. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Badly? What, what burnt you, Jamie? Tell me. Uh, You're in a safe place. A, it was custom dice um, okay. Kickstarter, which never fulfilled. Um, yeah, it, there was all sorts of, like, this long epic saga of what happened to this guy and why he couldn't fulfill it. But, um, but yeah, that was the only one. The rest of them have all been very positive. Uh, this particular Kickstarter, then, um, mm. the Kickstarter that I have uh, recently backed, is a game called Tales from the Loop. Now, right. it's a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from Friar Ligon, uh, or Free League Press, uh, as they translate to, uh, from Sweden. Uh, I think I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, who work very closely in association with Modiphius, who are the people hosting Dragon Meat. Mm-hmm. Ah, circularity. Um, <laughs> it's almost like there's the illusion of structure. Um, and it uses the same system as Gen Lab Alpha and Mutant Year Zero. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, which we are big fans of here on uh, the Critical Twits Gaming Podcast. And a quick search and maybe a look below if I can be bothered um, will we'll take you to where we wax lyrical about the wonders, especially sort of the survivability, uh, the post-apocalyptic aspects of that. The system is absolutely perfect for that kind of game. What mm. I'm really interested in with Tales from the Loop is it isn't really post-apocalyptic. Mm. It's set, um, as far as I can tell, um, because I, I mostly speed read the Kickstarter and they went to take my money and clicked all the buttons. <laughs> um, it's set in a 1980s style, uh, may even be in the 1980s, but in a, in a very much a 1980s teen horror movie style. Mm. So uh, things like it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. To, I'm struggling now. Well, um, um, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah. Stranger Things is is the thing that that grabbed me about it. The recent, um, essentially, Stranger Things is every single Stephen King style movie from the nineteen eighties distilled, uh, with Winona Ryder looking a bit haggard, because um, <laughs> she spent most of the thing crying. Uh, yeah, don't want to disparage Winona Ryder. Um, I loved her when I was a child. In a fuzzy <laughs> I thought way. she was brilliant in in Stranger Things. I thought I mean the whole cast were. But uh, it was an excellent series. Yes, you could say she really stole every scene she was in, couldn't you? (laughs) Shoplifting puns. Um, Not even very good shoplifting puns. Um, Tales from the Loop is set in a very similar kind of of style. It's got that um, young kids going on an adventure on their bikes kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. The artwork looks amazing, and the loop itself is a experimental secret government style uh, particle accelerator. Oh, so yeah, okay, yeah. Um, like like that famous one that's the name's just forgotten me, forgotten me. Um, oh god, the, I can't even talk. The Large Hadron Collider. The Hadron Collider, yes, like a Hadron Collider. 
yes um and so that in true 80s fashion has created some kind of rift some kind of temporal shifting alternate mm-hmm. dimensions um and it looks like it could be a very very interesting game it and does. i trust friar ligon and modifius to the point where i kind of like the idea i think it's an unusual idea for a role play game Mm. Um, I think you could have some really meta moments where you have your teenage characters playing Dungeons and Dragons inside your <laughs> uh, Tale from the Loop game, which would be quite quite interesting. Yes. Um, and yes, I think it's it it looks very very interesting, and I'm really really eager. Uh, it's currently up on Kickstarter. Um, they've just unlocked hardback books. Um, mm-hmm. They funded really, really quickly, so it's definitely going ahead, and I highly recommend you take a look. Um, cool. I will um, do an unboxing of said game when it appears, probably. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will. Go on, I'll commit myself now. Yeah, you should do. That'd be awesome. Yes, and we'll do a review once we played it for a bit and uh, tell you how good or not it is, but I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, actually, one thing that um, the setting itself probably avoids quite nicely actually is that one of the one of my problems with role-playing games when they're set in the real world especially in the sort of modern day within the last 30 years real world is how they how you treat um guns um yes and obviously setting it around you know kids and teenagers probably has less of a gunplay element than say a special agents kind of x-files style game would have i'd be remiss if we didn't talk briefly about the game kingdom death hmm Kingdom Death um, was a huge success on Kickstarter. Um, well, I think it's a couple of years ago. Yeah, it made about two million, uh, I believe, didn't it, on the first time out? Yes, um, it's it's kind of like the fusion of role play and board games that I have always wanted to play. And if they mm-hmm. would, someone said you could have a game, you could make a game, mm-hmm. and money would be no object. Um, <laughs> it would be the kind of thing that would come out of my head. And I was really, really gutted that I missed it the first time. Mm. Um, it's it's that the basic premise is that you play a group of survivors um, who are trying to build up a settlement and have to go off every, I think it's every season to go off and hunt and fight monsters that are threatening your, your survival. Mm. Um, it's, Got a kind of post-apocalyptic survival feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the models themselves are... Uh, sorry, the, the game itself is full of models uh, yep. that come on all sorts of sprues. And it's the it, it has the kind of detail where if your character picks up a new suit of armour, you can rebuild that character in a different suit of armour and have a different model of them in a different suit of armour. Yeah, I noticed that. It, it had almost like a Monster Hunter vibe where it has all these, like, you could take a, a claw from something you defeated turn it into a sword, and then that can actually be attached to your model. Yes, yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing maybe where you'd, you'd build your models with magnets so you could swap bits out easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. It looks at the difficulty seems incredibly brutal. The monsters themselves are beautiful models. Mm-hmm. They really um, are. And it has this kind of legacy style ongoing game with that monsters monster hunter feel with some some light role play um, with the settlement building that we've really enjoyed in Mutant Year Zero and to a lesser extent sort of Gen Lev Alpha and Conspiracy X, other role play games like that. Mm-hmm. Um and it has funded already. Yeah. It's only been up for a couple of days at the time of uh, chatting. It's funded to the tune of $5 million. 
part of the game is sort of a 1.5 edition so it's an add-on with some different rules and some extra bits and pieces for people that have already got it but the vast majority of people um seem to be new buying the game from scratch yeah so if you were buying into this for the first time how much is the lowest tier on kickstarter to be able to pick it up this is the tricky bit um (laughs) because i couldn't figure it out yeah it has (laughs) it has models uh and it's full of models and i'm not talking clip together plastic models we're talking full-on gw malifaux war game style sprues they're lovely with dozens of options beautiful beautiful kits um there there's cards coming out of cards there are maps upon maps upon boards upon playboards um upon all sorts of different uh different things however it is pricey mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll tell you what you get you get the core game mm-hmm. you get the add-on you get all 12 current expansions mm. all new expansions that come from the kickstarter uh the extra pin-up models which is the one thing about this i'm not keen on it's pin-up versions of certain characters yep. uh with their boobies out and that's like which, i did notice there were male that, pin-ups well as well though there are yeah there are some 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 gleaming torsos in there if that's uh, if that's what you're into um you've got some promo models a t-shirt uh some some more bits and pieces from the last version as well that has been backed 666 times before it timed out <laughs> right um the cost for that for basically for everything mm. uh that they do was one thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars wow yeah. Which was a lot of money. Uh, it's a lot of money anywhere. Sometimes when we talk about money, we go, oh, you know, your mileage may vary. Money is different for, for everyone. I think when we're talking in the region of $1,600, we're mm. talking a lot of money for nearly everybody in the world. Yes. Unless you're part of, you know, the, the 1%. Um, and then boo to you. Get off my podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a lot. There is... They have released another version of that. I think it's the same, mm. uh, sort of post-Black Friday. That has been backed 346 times on top as well, uh, yeah. bringing us to pretty much around 1,000 people. 1,000 people have spent $1,000 plus well, on this game. That's, that's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing that it feels like if you're going all out for this crazy bastard thing there's a little part of me that's like i want i want everything if you Mm. just want the core game so for just the core game you are looking at 250 dollars which is kingdom death monster core game 1.5 and what does that get you because i did notice in the original 1.0 version that the core game was two models so here we go so the box game includes obviously rule book storybook um two foot by three foot game board uh, one, two, three, four survivors, uh, five terrain tiles, uh, a die, some dice, it's 25 cards, 100 gear cards, um, 10 settlement location tiles, uh, survival record sheets, so basically player character sheets, um, settlement record sheets, and base inserts. Uh, and then armor miniature kits, which you can then combine to make up uh, two male and two female miniatures. 
Yes. Uh, this also comes with um, a white lion, a phoenix, a butcher, an antelope, kingsman, king's hand. One of each. So six monsters, um, four players, and five survivors. Yes. Now, they reckon that this, this game is going to... Um, is 30 years in-game. So 30 game turns, if you like, with each turn each year lasting one to three hours of gameplay. So that's that's quite a hefty investment mm. <laughs> anyway um but i have this habit when i when i'm buying stuff I'll, I'll commit to something and then i'll see that there's a slightly better version and i'll talk myself into spending the extra money mm-hmm. and then i'll see a slightly better version about that above that and i will keep going and i'm very very worried <laughs> that this game if i do commit yeah. i'll keep coming back to it and it will swallow all of my money yes i could yeah i could definitely see that um, you got. To, we talked about this before, but you've got to decide at what point is it a a game, and which point is it a hobby. So, is it something that you're going to collect and keep like collecting, like you do Malifaux? Yes. Yeah. the The version that looks sort of most interesting, and they've pledged to talk to keep releasing up to 2020 um, with extra bits and pieces, mm-hmm. is the um, the Gambler's Lantern version which is the game the new add-on a t-shirt all the new expansions and all the new models mm. um that are coming out from this version but that would require committing to a 927 dollar pledge <laughs> yeah um it's a lot of money it is yeah but my god does it look like an absolutely amazing sort of premium product mm um, you, you, I suppose you got to think if if it's something you're going to commit time to and you're going to play as a group, you could even buy it as a group. So, yeah, you could chip in together. Yeah, as long as like what, in the three years that it will take you to play it, one of you doesn't move away and want to <laughs> run off with half the box. It's it's taking the idea of of, of a tabletop experience and making it. You know, it, it's the Rolls Royce if you like, a tabletop experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing that existed only in my head until very recently. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that I, I try not to get too drunk near the internet while, while the Kickstarter is going on because I might end up committing to a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. One thing I do seem to get the impression is, though, that if you don't contribute to the Kickstarter... I don't know how long the actual game will live for in the shops because if you look no. at their website, the the core original box is sold out and it seems to have been sold out for a while. So if you like the sound of that, if you've got a lot of money to burning a hole in your uh, your back pocket, uh, swing on over to that. I'll pop a link below. If you've got loads and loads of money burning a hole, you know, through your very being, uh, please feel free to buy me one as well. I won't say no. <laughs> What's the, what's the use of having the power of an internet-based uh, podcast if you're not willing to abuse it for shiny toys? <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so that brings us to the final part of the uh, the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much bang on where I thought we'd be, actually, which is good. Uh, where we just have a little quick chat about the games that we have been playing recently. Okay. Uh, so Jamie tell me more about Castles of Burgundy is this where someone has frozen a whole load of red wine and then chiseled the resulting blocks into some kind of edifice uh, for your conquering would be lovely although unfortunately as soon as it melted it would just be wine in the dirt so probably not the best idea but uh, no it's a 
game that currently ranks at tenth on Board Game Geek's top rated games of all time. Ooh. Um, it sits right in between Puerto Rico and Agricola. Um, three games I have never played. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just shot myself in the foot there. Uh, well, Agricola <laughs> is is really nice. Um, sort of very sort of traditional Euro worker placement style game. Um, yes. Uh, Puerto Rico is also a kind of a game quite similar to Castles of Burgundy, where it's about trading goods. Well, it's kind of it's actually well, it's about trading goods. Whereas Castles of Burgundy is about acquiring these goods to develop your lands. Um, so I found it's got quite a steep learning curve for playing the first time. Uh, I played I played the game with my wife at the weekend, um, and she did find it a little bit boring to like learn the rules to, which yeah. is not always the best. It's the sort of thing that you probably want to learn first before introducing somebody to. Yeah. Um, but it seems it's got it's got a lot of depth to it, and it would kind of reward replay value as you sort of begin to learn okay. all the combos and special abilities. Especially, you have these knowledge tiles, and every single one of them does something different, and you have to look up in the rule book what it does. Um, so you kind of don't have to know what they do ahead of time. But as you yeah. do start to get a vibe for the game and start to figure out how things work together, you could definitely start to um, kind of build on extra layers of strategy and yes, tactics and stuff definitely. Like, yeah. So, so basically, that's always be- good. I like a game that you can play again and have a slightly different experience. Yeah, definitely, because and you're th- growing with the game. Yeah, it's the sort of thing. I think if you had a regular board game group, that you could get this out every so often. I think you could really get a lot out of it. Um, yeah. So basically, the idea is that you've got the central board, um, which is kind of like the market, and on there you've got um, these land kind of uh, region tiles that you can kind of purchase to expand your own region around your castle, and you have your own separate kind of board. Uh, each player has their own one, which you can then has all these little hex things on. It looks like a mini version of um, Catan uh, that you can build up your um, region uh, around your castle. So that could be water tiles with ships on. It could be um, farm tiles with animals on and so on. Okay. Um, you also have these other kind of uh, resource tiles that uh, could be things like uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but things like grain or things like you know things you could buy and sell at market. Yeah, you can't though just go out and directly purchase one of those resource tiles. You have to okay. first of all acquire a um, uh, a ship, I believe it is. No, yeah, acquire a ship, but then lets you take those resource tiles from the market and then place them into your storage. Then you can later spend an action to to sell them on. So basically, each turn. Um, each player simultaneously rolls two dice and the starting player also rolls an extra white dice um, which determines where one of the kind of uh, resources goes onto the board okay and then you have you have those two dice to spend as your actions so if you rolled a four you could either take a um, resource uh, sorry, a location tile from the area marked number four Okay. Or you could then spend that four to do other things, such as if you've already got a resource tile in your on your board, uh, in waiting away in your storage area, you could then place that onto an area of your territory marked with a number four. Okay. So, so it's kind of you know you can strategically choose where you, what you're going to do with your actions depending on what you rolled. Uh, okay. You could also, if you rolled a four and you had um, something in your in your good storage area which is also labelled with the number four, you could then sell those items. So you've got all these different things that you could do, and it gives you lots of options each turn. 
And yeah. it's kind of weighing up which is the best one right now to kind of pay off in the long run. Um, so you might get things that get you instant victory points and you've got a little track around the outside of the board to move your kind of counter as to sort of see how well you're doing. Or you could get things that will pay off at the end of the game, a little bit like you do in Lords of Waterdeep. Yes. Yeah. So it's like I say, it's got a lot of depth. Um but I think it's this type of thing that, again, you would have to play two or three times to really get your head around. But it's good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, again, I don't think Alison was so keen. Um, but again, it's something that maybe, you know, if, if once it's been played a couple of times, it would probably start to click a little bit more. Do you think it would be better with more players? Or is it just too bad? Uh, Board Game Geek suggests that two-player is the best setup for it. It supports two to four. Okay. Um, I'd imagine it would work just as well with three and four players, but it probably just take a bit longer to get to your turn and things like that. You would, yeah. When you play with more players, though, you do get more options on the board because there's, again, um, resource tiles, for example, or land tiles as they go out. Um, go on the number twos for two-player, but also go on the okay. number threes for the three-player and so on. Okay. So it gives you a wider selection. I'll, uh, I'm going to have to twist your arm and force you to... Uh bring that along next time we have a board game day yeah absolutely I'll, I'll definitely do that and I'll teach it to along all with of my, you guys uh, copy of pretense that I just ordered awesome well, actually one other thing that's worth I thought was quite a neat mechanic in that game as well was the fact that you have these worker tokens so um, on your turn you could spend one of your dice to take a worker token or if you buy a certain type of building um, then that will also give you four worker tokens with it so that okay. type of thing and a worker token could be spent to adjust your dice roll up or down by one Okay, and that also includes rolling around from six to one and one to six. Yeah, I was thinking actually when you um, when you were describing it, it sounded like it could be slightly um, down to luck. Mm. You know, so, yeah, I need to roll a six to buy the thing that I need to buy. So, yes. so it gives I you that like little bit of games, control. Yeah, games that let you control the luck or legislate for luck or mm-hmm. manipulate randomness in your favour to a certain degree I like that kind of thing absolutely I mean late game in the game we played um, at the weekend um, we got right near the end and I need I just needed a five to be able to play something on my board so I actually spent a turn gaining workers so I could then guarantee that I could adjust my dice roll to that yes. value yeah yeah sounds good mm. um, just uh, just to finish this off I'll, uh, I, you weren't there when we played the uh the rather wonderful Fury of Dracula. No, I wish I had been. Fury of Dracula is a game I've been interested in for a long time. It, it's uh, it's been out of print for quite a while, and it came back uh, back in the summer when we talked about uh, Fantasy Flight and Games Workshop having a lover's tiff and uh, separating. Um, Fury of Dracula is one of the children um, that um, has been left bereft by this divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if you're interested in it, uh, please pick it up um, fairly soon before it goes out of production. It, it's going to go out of print, and I don't know because it, it's originally a Games Workshop game from the '80s, but it's got nothing to do with their traditional IPs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is set in the Victorian time in dur- during Dracula, if you like, and much like the actual original novel Dracula is this sort of nebulous presence you don't quite know where he is what he's planning what he's doing Um, he can appear suddenly enacting a plan Um, he can sort of hide in the darkness so up to four players take on the role of characters from Dracula such Mm -hmm. as uh, Mina Harker um, Van Helsing Van Helsing yeah 
yes, yeah, Van Helsing. Because he's been done to death since, it makes <laughs> me doubt his his uh, his credibility. Um, <laughs> yes, so um, they they play the characters, and what they do is they spread out across Europe. And they are desperately looking for Dracula, who is played by one of the other players. I mean, I played, we've only played one game, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I wanted to mm. sort of bang on about it. Um, Dracula decides where he starts in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's his job uh, to travel around Europe, causing chaos, mm-hmm. um, scoring points as he goes for doing things like um, murdering the players. Mm-hmm. or injuring them they can't be killed it's, there's no player elimination um, or by seeding vampires in different cities and then letting them grow uh, to maturity and then escaping and running off um, so I'm, I'm assuming this is like hidden, not hidden role but hidden yes like, it's actions. hidden movement so yeah. Dracula can see where the, where the heroes are but the heroes don't know where Dracula is mm-hmm. everyone will move each turn Mm-hmm. And Dracula has to reveal if one of the places that the heroes go to is somewhere where Dracula has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's there's six or seven slots where each turn basically he puts down a card saying where he is. At the next okay. turn, they all the cards shuffle down. He plays another card. He can't just travel randomly. He has to travel along uh, dirt roads. Mm-hmm. He can't travel by rail doesn't like it he can travel by boat uh, but it upsets him and it causes damage and the mm-hmm. the characters will know when he's on at sea because the cards are slightly different that he puts down mm-hmm. uh, he could travel to castle dracula but they will immediately know that he's there because the card has a completely different back but he, it can heal him up and he gets extra abilities when he's there right um and it was very fun. The game definitely had different stages, which is another thing I like in a game. We talked about Netrunner, where you start and the runner is very powerful. Mm. Then the corporation builds up and the corporation is in charge and the runner's kind of reacting yeah. to or building up to deal with what the corporation's put in place. And then the runner clicks, becomes all powerful and can do what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, Fury of Dracula had that. To start with, I was running around Europe. Um, sorry, I was running around England and Scotland and Wales um, with with a plum doing whatever I wished. Uh, <laughs> and the players were running around in in France and Spain. At one point, they became convinced that I was in Italy. Don't know why. Um, and decided to have a look there. Mm-hmm. Once I went to sea, there was a sudden rush by them to ports because, as I said, if Dracula spends too long at sea, he gets hurt. And suddenly the net was sort of narrowed because Dracula can't double back on himself. He can't just run between London and Manchester and then back to London because the card has already been played. You can't go back somewhere until the card comes back into your hand. Oh, neat. I say your hand. The hand is like 80 cards. There's loads of places. Into your deck Um, in a way. Yeah. So Dracula is always on the move and he's Mm. always... He's always going somewhere with purpose. He can't just circle... Um, or, or oscillate back and forth um, so they began to sort of narrow down and some of the character abilities were very very interesting like Mina Harker she has a connection with Dracula mm. because he quite lags her and he's given her a bit of a bite um, <laughs> which means that she's very weak to his attacks he only needs to bite her once to, to sort of finish her off and injure her mm-hmm. but 
she also has a link the other way and so she can hold a seance with one of the other characters and say are you in this region and you've got sort of like france spain germany eastern europe britain all sorts regions so there was definitely a feel that the net was closing Mm -hmm. um as dracula I felt very, very powerful to start with, very smug and very full of myself. And then one of my vampires was scored and it revealed where the vampire was. They went, ah, oh, there's been a, a vampire in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And then I went to see and they were like, well, he's obviously been in Britain, so he could only be in these places. And suddenly I was going, shit, <laughs> they, they kind of know where I am. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up with a chase where I was being chased across Germany um, and they were sort of a couple stages behind me. Mm. Um, I guess it would naturally lend itself to like a chase. Yes. Eventually, and beca- yeah. And eventually they backed me into a corner in Castle uh, Dracula because I ran from London to Castle Dracula and acting the book in reverse. Um, and they very much closed in on me. Um, mm. And I was sort of having to pick where I was going to have my fights, laying traps for them because they can investigate the cities that you've been in to see what you've left. Mm. They can, um, there's a day cycle and a night cycle. Dracula's more powerful at night, obviously. And there's all sorts of things that are just very, very clever and very, very thematic. And it was one of those games that it took a good couple hours to play. Mm -hmm. We did watch a really, really useful video from Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, where Quinns explains how to play. It's a very good starter, but there was still lots of little bits we needed to look up and check as we went along yeah uh, but once we got the hang of it it was actually quite smooth mm. and we immediately wanted someone else to be dracula and to play again excellent so uh, so thank you very much uh, for listening um if you've enjoyed that please leave a like um we'd love it even more if you left a comment and told us what you've been playing or what games you're looking forward to um in the coming months and we'll be back soon hopefully with some Malifaux coverage next week followed by Oh, God, we've got so much to do, Jamie. We do. We have the Netrunner. We've got Netrunner. We're going to need to fill you in and get that interview again. We've got Malifaux. We want to talk about Ripples of Fate, uh, the latest supplement. Uh, And we want to talk to you all about what we found at Dragon Meat as well. Yeah. We might have to do, oh, God, we might have to do like a series of podcasts in a short period. Yes. So December looks quite busy. Um, So um, if you really, really like that and you've not listened before, uh, please feel free to subscribe so that you'll be told when more stuff comes out. So thank you very much for listening. I've been Brian Ennis. And I've been Jamie Myland. Everyone else has been missing, uh, but they will (laughs) return soon um, as my puppet minions raised from the undead. (laughs) Uh, Until next time. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Critical Twitch Gaming Podcast. We are officially over a year old. Hooray! Jamie, Jamie doesn't care. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <I'm, laughs> I was about to cough with the rum and I muted myself. Oh, you've gone silent. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Mm. Mm. Yes, <laughs> cool. What a slick introduction. I, I really want to keep that now.